My name is Dr. Howard Lyon, Senior Chair of the History Department at New Haven College. I'm also the best-selling biographer of The Last Days of Hitler, a choose-your-own-adventure. Due to circumstances beyond my control, I find myself with a lot of free time on my hands. I decided to turn my biographical prowess to the fictional Cheersverse and write the definitive life story of Fraser Crane, using only the data provided by Cheers, Wings, and 11 seasons of his titular sitcom. In our last episode, we covered Fraser's first few years in Seattle. We learned about his new job, about his new apartment, about his new favorite cafe. We also learned about Daphne, Eddie, and the pending divorce of Maris and Niles Crane. A lot of ground was covered. And now, even more. While Niles dealt with his lonely new reality, Fraser began to truly thrive. His ratings hit an all-time high. He finally won a CB award, and he received a plaque from the mayor of Seattle. He was even featured in the April 1996 issue of Seattle Monthly. The article, At Home with Dr. Fraser Crane, included a full photo spread showing off Fraser's tasteful home to the whole city. Things with his son were also going well. Young Frederick tested in the highest percentiles in cognitive skills and deductive reasoning, and even came to visit Seattle for his birthday in 1996, the Macarena year. But Fraser's love life was in shambles. Ever since moving to Seattle, he could not seem to land a steady gal. He dated and or made physical sex with a few women, Maris's sister Bree, uh, Catherine, whose ex-boyfriend called into Fraser's show and was encouraged to break up with her, Madeline Marshall, a sportswear designer, Sam Malone's fiance Sheila, famous pop psychiatrist Dr. Honey Snow, Kate Costas, the new head of KACL, his agent B.B. Glazer, and there was even a fling with his ex-wife, Lilith Sternen. <clears throat> I uh, understand that a lot of divorced couples... Um, go back to the well here and there. I was very interested in this, certainly, but my ex was never very keen to go for another round. I don't know why. I can perform ten incredible bedroom moves. Lilith, meanwhile, got over her one-night stand with Fraser and found a new special man, Dr. Brian Patchett, a seismologist at MIT. After a whirlwind romance, he asked Lilith to marry him during a Bora Bora vacation, one where Fraser was coincidentally present. She accepted. A lot of coincidences in this show, I've noticed. The real world doesn't act like that. Except that one fateful evening, when Dylan McCurdy's roommate's car wouldn't start. The same night I entered their filthy apartment with a sword I bought at the Renaissance Fair. The one night I needed to be alone with Dylan, and the car didn't start. Well, that's a Hyundai for you. Still, Lilith and Fraser's bond remained strong. The two teamed up for a memorable Thanksgiving in the Macarena year, 1996, to help get their son into the Marbury Academy, 
the most exclusive private school in Boston. Marbury was a breeding ground of power and privilege. And, after a series of comical misunderstandings, Fraser and Lilith secured him a spot amongst the student body. Marty Crane also began to connect with his son in ways he never had before. After a particularly difficult few days, uh, the two butted heads over money, space, everything, Marty gave Fraser an incredible gift, an heirloom. When he graduated from the police academy, Marty's father gave him a bolo tie. We mentioned this all the way back in episode one. Go back and listen. If you don't believe me, go ahead. Go. I could use the extra downloads. Marty gave the tie to Fraser that quiet evening, hoping that he too would pass it along to Frederick when the time was right. I understand that they are rebooting Frasier very soon. I hope that the writers tie up this loose end and feature an episode where Frederick gets the bolo. I bet they won't, though. Those Hollywood writers are nowhere near as smart as me when it comes to this important stuff. No one! No one! Get me out of this apartment! Get me out right now! Take your head, take it! While his son's love lives floundered, Marty Crane found someone special. He met Sherry Dempsey at a police hangout called McGinty's, where she was a bartender. The two had an easygoing relationship, much to the chagrin of Fraser and Niles. Marty, however, didn't care that his sons were cold on Sherry. He was the happiest he had been ever since his darling Hester had passed away. But when things started to get serious, Marty began to have doubts. It was difficult to move forward knowing Hester was still in his heart. But Fraser, ever the healer, put aside his distaste for Miss Dempsey and encouraged his father to take that next scary step. Marty did, and he and Sherry continued to date. Things would eventually turn around for Niles. After being separated for over a year, he and Maris reconciled and began marriage counseling. I want to talk about something here, and it's strange and eerie and needs a little build-up, but it starts with this. In 1997, Sugar Ray's fly year, Fraser broadcast his 1,000th show. To commemorate, KACL threw a public rally at the foot of the Space Needle. Mayor Rice was in attendance. Now, what I'm about to say is bigger than Fraser. It's bigger than any one man. You see... Due to a comic misunderstanding, Mayor Rice believed that Daphne was an alien, an extraterrestrial. He was so concerned that he had his secret security escort her away for questioning. The theme of the supernatural, the occult, life on other worlds, is rarely touched on in the Cheers verse, but it is touched on! 
Why would a mayor of a major city believe this random woman could be an alien? It's because, and I have factual evidence in the text here, that aliens exist in this world. We're jumping ahead a little bit, but in a future episode, season 8, episode 16, docudrama, Senator John Glenn stops by KACL and chats about his time in space. When no one is listening, he goes off about seeing strange things and creatures. He was sworn to keep these sightings a secret, as his bosses were afraid of panic in the streets if this ever got out. Luckily, his admission was not broadcast, and he was able to confiscate the tapes from KACL. That wasn't the first time aliens were mentioned. In season two's The Candidate, Fraser and Niles assisted the political campaign of a liberal politician, Phil Patterson. It all fell apart when Patterson admits that he was abducted by aliens. Now, the show could have portrayed him as a loon, a quack, a goofball, a hippie. But the writers decided to make him a calm, reasonable man. He knew what happened. He had a close encounter. Aliens are... Also, apparently mentioned in the show Wings, which I refuse to watch because Nantucket is a godless place with terrible restaurants. Now, this isn't so far-fetched. Think about it. Fraser lives in a world where Daphne is, occasionally, a legitimate psychic. I also heard there were ghosts in Wings, which again, I will never watch. Now, we have proof that aliens are real, and high-ranking government officials are on the lookout for them. Isn't that fascinating? There could even be a Men in Black and Shears crossover. And Ghostbusters, too. They could all have a big party. It's all there. The proof is all there. I'm not wasting my life with this major crap. This is all there. It's all part of a shared story verse. Read Chariots of the Gods. Read it. I'll give it to you. I have ten copies. But that reconciliation wouldn't last, as love soon began to flee from the Crane family en masse. When Marty realized he wanted to get married again, and Sherry didn't, they ended their relationship. Lilith, too, suffered a loss. Her husband, Dr. Brian Patchett, left her for their contractor, Stan Jablonski. And in a final indignity, Maris left Niles for Dr. Bernard Schenkman, their marriage counselor. This was the last straw for Niles. He and Maris were finally through. In a show of defiance, Niles took off his wedding ring and threw it from Fraser's balcony, ironically dinging his Mercedes parked below. At least there was a little bit of love blooming in the Crane family. Here's a name I haven't said in a long time. Walter Crane. Marty's brother Walter had married a fiery Greek woman, restaurateur Zora Crane. And they had a son, Nikos. The handsome young man, cousin to Fraser and Niles, dedicated his life to street performance, juggling in particular a career he entered on Fraser's recommendation. Many people scoff at the art of juggling, but I can tell you from my experience at the Renaissance Fair, it builds up amazing amounts of dexterity. This can be put to good use in many sexual moves and combat engagements. 
Zora always wanted more for her son and blamed Fraser for his unorthodox life. But things were turning around. He became engaged to a woman of high society, Mary Ann Tubinick. To keep the family peace, Fraser promised not to meddle in Nikos's life again. But how could he not? He saw his cousin in pain. He told him to follow his heart. So, Nikos called off the engagement to reconnect with his former lover, a fellow juggler named Crystal. Zora was so furious, she forbade her husband Walt from spending any more time with Marty. Their lifelong feud was reignited, and the two old cranes seemed to take it all in stride. A part of them knew this peace would never last. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I spoke so long about this terrible episode. It's honestly one of the worst in the show. But we barely know anything about Walter Crane, so I had to. I had to. If I were a writer on Frasier, a show about brothers, I would make sure the episode about Marty's brother was a good one. A great one! Ugh. What a lousy 22 minutes of my life that I'll never get back again. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Meanwhile, Niles' divorce was getting nasty. It cost him his car, his lavish apartment. In 1999, the Matrix year, Niles hired Donnie the Piranha Douglas, an unkempt little man with a degree from the University of Las Vegas. Despite his modest credentials, he was tough as nails. It didn't take long for Donnie and his team to uncover Maris's family secret. Her money did not come from timber at all, but from the manufacturing of urinal cakes. To keep this all hush-hush, Maris threw in the towel. Niles received a very handsome settlement, and the marriage was officially over. The good news for Niles would soon hit a sour note. Donnie began to date Daphne, the sort of secret object of Niles' desire. Niles watched from the sidelines as Daphne was swept away by this tenacious but kind-hearted lawyer. After dating for only a few months, Donnie proposed to Daphne. She accepted. Niles, eager to move on and start a new life for himself, began to date in earnest. He found love with plastic surgeon Dr. Melinda Karnofsky. She was a germaphobe, was on the museum board, and most importantly, she also hated Eddie. Niles was smitten. What he didn't know was just how big a mess this new relationship would make. The mess started on Fraser Crane's 46th birthday in 1999, the Matrix year, After pulling a muscle in his back, he took some very strong tranquilizers, which put him in a very loosey-goosey mood. Daphne very kindly gave him a massage to ease his pain, but due to a series of comedic misunderstandings, he revealed a secret he had kept for seven years. He told Daphne that his brother was madly in love with her. Don't do drugs, people. This is what happens. 
I never touch the stuff myself. I get my high from hard work, sexual congress, and revenge. I implore you not to neglect the rich, earthy delights one gets from revenge. After a long nap, Fraser had no recollection of this confession. But thanks to his hippie drugged-up revelation, Daphne was beginning to see Niles in a new light. Throughout her engagement, these new thoughts would peck away at her, bubbling up in disturbing ways. For instance, when Niles and Mel appeared on the society page, Daphne threw a load of the neighbor's laundry into the traffic below, causing a four-car pileup. With less than a week before her wedding at the lovely Wayside Inn, Daphne Moon made a difficult decision. She confided in Fraser that she knew. And worse, she had begun to grow feelings for Niles. Fraser did not know what to do with this shocking information. Things became much more complicated when a few days later, Niles revealed that he and Mel had eloped. I told you earlier, this was a mess. Like at his cousin's wedding, Fraser could not help but ease the hurt of these two lovesick souls. The night before Daphne was set to marry Donnie, he told Niles everything. And Niles made a bold move. He found Daphne's room, and the two sat awkwardly while enjoying a fine Orangina product. He finally confessed his feelings. Even though he was married, he loved Daphne. The two kissed for the first time under a sky full of stars, with a soft breeze blowing, bringing the scent of night-blooming jasmine to their balcony. It was a special, tender moment, one Niles had been waiting for since the day he met Daphne in 1993 Jurassic Park year. But Daphne turned him down. She fully intended to marry Donnie the very next day. And we'll leave it there. Does Daphne go through with it and become Mrs. Donnie Douglas? If you don't know the answer, please do not Google this or Wikipedia or Bing it. I implore you, have a sense of drama in your life. Just hold on for a little while, people. Just hold on for a little while, okay? God. This is Dr. Howard Lyon, and that's a wrap on this episode of The Fraser Files. Thank you for listening to The Fraser Files. The Fraser Files was researched, written, and performed by Stephen Winchell and developed for audio by Stephen Winchell and Ian Abramson. Directed by Lara Unterstall, with audio recording and production by Adam Goron. Music by Stephen Winchell and Takuya Yoshida. If you enjoyed our program, please rate and review us on your podcatcher of choice. You can find us on social media at Fraser Files on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, and Blue Sky. You can also send us an email at fraserfilespod at gmail.com. Thank you again for exploring the rich world of Fraser Crane with us.